0: They're desperate for uh, uh, someone to solve the situation that they're living in. And that someone is who? Jesus. Jesus. I'm telling you, and this is our time to lift him up. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. I'm telling you, I uh, had a wonderful visitation. I uh, saw a glory cloud over the whole body of Christ worldwide. And I saw masterful hands chipping a slogan in this glory cloud. And they, they chipped this like a sculpture would, or would chisel it into stone. And here's what it said, the centricity of Christ. This whole thing is going to go back to Jesus. And I'm telling you, we're going to be fascinated and mesmerized with the Master, I'm telling you, God is going to reintroduce Himself to us in such a dimension we're going to be like John the John the Revelator on the Isle of Patmos. Remember that? Yeah. He heard, he saw the Lord and he fell as though he was dead. Yeah. Carolyn, come we come up here, Caroline. This is Carolyn. How long have we been married? A long you. time. That's a, yeah, yeah, a long time. Uh, it'll be 52, 50, 52 years, uh, and so it'll be it'll be fifty three. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. Every time I quote that, she usually quotes Genesis eighteen fourteen. It's anything too hard for the Lord. But, We're living proof. Oh, listen, that's good. But we are having a great time, we aren't we? And we've known these guys for a long time. Oh, Good God. gracious. But we thank we're... all of
1: you for loving and doting over Bob Jones, our wonderful spiritual father. I know we all feel that way. And it's such an honor to be in such a wonderful place that Bob came so many times. So, Brian, Byron and, and Debbie, we just, uh, Becky, Becky, sir. Oh, I'll get it BB. right. Yeah. BB, B and B. Anyway, uh, uh, loving Bob, and he certainly loved you all. And, and some of his um, last minutes on this earth, you know, the wonderful words, you know, the Lord had, you know, for you all. And what, what a blessed place. So he's
0: got one of the best seats in the house. You know that, don't you? He's in the cloud of witnesses watching. I'm telling you, listen, he's keeping an eye on what's going on. I'm telling you, Bob, I told Rick Jordan and those guys, we underestimated Bob Jones. I'm telling you, honest to God, uh, Elijah and Elisha, they dote over him in heaven. They dote over him because he got to live as an end-time prophet. It's pretty amazing. So I told him, we underestimated Bob, but that's the way he wanted, you know what I mean? So introduce our friends. We've got speaking some friends speaking here.
1: Speaking of Bob, um, a spiritual son, but first we want to introduce Mark Parsons. Mark, stand up. This is Mark Parsons. He's... In our church, he and his wife in Bullard, Texas, for over 25-plus years. So we've all grown up together, haven't we, Mark? But such a blessing. So he is working over at Raleigh and surprised us this morning. So we just welcome you, Mark, and we love Mark and Paula. They've been a huge part of our life and family and ministry. But Eddie and you and Hetty and Andre, y'all stand up and um, just... um, South Africa. South Africa. Bob and Bonnie's spiritual uh, son and daughter and their family. And anyway, just... What a blessing. Um, Etienne had graduated from uh, Morningstar, uh, got Dr. his doctorate Bloom yesterday. Dr. Dr. Bloom, Etienne yeah. yeah. Bloom. Yeah, so that. anyway, speaking of, come on. Bobby come up, wanted you here to here say, say something.
0: Come up here. They're from South Africa. He travels all over the world doing prophetic ministry. And, and so just just come and greet the people and share what God's put in your heart. God bless you. This is the first time you've been introduced as Dr.
2: Bloom. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> just stays Etienne, no doctor. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for being here. Um, It's an amazing honor, amazing, yeah, it's just amazing being here. I can truly say I saw Bob is here. What a father, and I agree with Bobby. We underestimated that man while we're worshiping, and now everything makes sense to me. Prepare yourself. There's change coming into this church. God showed me that this church has been prepared for an end-time church, for a church of revelation. The mysteries and secrets of heaven are going to be released. And when you prayed, um, Byron said, The old things, it's exactly what God showed me. He said, Get rid of your habits, of your traditions and things, of your philosophies. I want freedom. Yeah. God wants to come and He wants to manifest in your life as a God of the impossible. Yeah. Yeah. And as He said, I'm not a show, I'm real. what I believe, and I shared with Mark this morning, it's a season of Deuteronomy 11.11. 11. Go in and take possession of the promised land and come and drink from the rains of heaven. And that is the time of those who pursued Him with their whole being, who have been walking in a way as being a living sacrifice, will drink from the rains of heaven, the revelation, the mysteries, the secrets, the fullness of the blessings of heaven. It's now the time. And this morning, when I asked him, Lord, show me on my scroll, what, is, what should I do today? He said, Etienne, do you see me? I said, yes, Father, I can see your face. He said, don't turn your face away from me. God is looking for those who is looking at Him all the time, because what you look at, you become. And He will manifest at the places where He sees a reflection of Himself. So I release it. I declare that this house will become a reflection of Jesus. Bless all of you. Amen.
0: Thank you, Ed Tim. God bless you. That's good. Don't you want to drink from the rains of heaven? I'm telling you. Remember, uh, I love when he talked about beholding the Father's face. In Psalms uh, 27, it says, When you said, Seek my face, my heart cried out, Yes, God, your face I'll seek. Psalms 27. God is alluring us to seek his face. I'm telling you, we need face-to-face encounters with the living God. It, it'll change your whole attitude and your appearance. Remember Moses? Face-to-face encounters with God, it changed His attitude and His appearance. You believe the body of Christ needs uh, uplift and a facelift? Yeah. I think so. We've got too many droopy Christians. We ought to be the most delightful, creative people on this planet. The Creator lives in us. Isn't that something? We ought to be the happiest people on the planet. Our destiny is settled. We've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We cannot be defeated. That's what it says. Romans eight thirty seven said, yet amid all these things, we're super victorious. We're fighting from victory, not for victory. Remember our elder brother stretched himself up on a cross and he cried out, it's finished. Aren't you glad he didn't say I'm finished? <laughs> he said, it's finished. And that's a farming term. It means everything that should have been done is totally done. Nothing's left undone that needed to be done. Say complete. complete. The Bible said, and you are complete in Him. Oh, listen, that's pretty wild, isn't it? Well, we're delighted to be here. I've got a book table back there, and I want to say a, thing, a few things about the books because the Lord said, I want you to create tools that will help my people to grow. He said, I'm going to give you a core goal. And He said, your core goal is to raise me... An overcoming generation that transcends gender or age. I said, give me that in Texican where I can understand what you're talking about. He said, I want you to raise me a group of people that are victorious in every avenue of their life. I don't care whether they're young or old, male or female. That's what it means. He said, raise me an overcoming generation that transcends gender or age. See, it, it, it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter whether you're uh, old or young. It matters about your heart. He told me the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. we got to have a hot, blazing heart for God. Don't you think? I, listen, you know, it's a sad thing when it says uh, being lukewarm makes him sick. So he'll do what to a lukewarm church? spew them out of his mouth so how do we turn up the flame we get into the word of God and the word of God gets into us remember Jeremiah said the fire was burning in my bones you get the word of God in you you'll begin to burn don't you Don't you want to be ablaze for him say yes okay we're going to have a good time I don't even know how long we go we just go I guess till you know, you know. it'll be fine with me you know I get wound up like an eight day clock man I get so excited I could thread a sewing machine it running. Now, that's pretty excited. Okay. Well, anyway, here's, here's a book. This is one of our latest books. It's called Master's Plan Divine Design. And I, most of this book deals with understanding who you are. If we understand who we are, we'll understand why God has created us to do some marvelous things for Him. There's verses, if it wasn't in the Bible, I'd never believe it. John 14, 12 is one. Jesus talking, Verily, verily, I say unto you, These works that I do, and greater works than these shall you do, because I go to my Father. Wow. He means that. He intends to find it with people that will do greater works than he did. John 14, 12. Isn't that You know what Jesus told me once? He said, Tell my people, I say what I mean and mean what I say. I'm not a politician seeking to be elected. He doesn't spew out rhetoric. And he just tells us we need to be prepared to do great signs and wonders. And so I wrote this book mainly out of Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God before ordained, we conduct ourselves in them. So I studied Ephesians 2.10 in every English translation of the Bible I could find in the world. One One translation says, You're the best God could do to display who he is. One translation says, you are his stroke of genius to display his God deeds. It it, it, it is something heaven and hell are asking you the same question. God and the devil. God and the devil are asking you the same question. Here it is. Who do you think you are? Hell's going, who do you think you are? And heaven's going, who do you think you are? See, as a person thinks, that's how they're going to live. You go, well, now, Bobby, I got some issues. Well, get over them. When you got recreated in Christ, Old issues were gone. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any person be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are what? Yeah. Passed away. Behold, all things are bright and brand new. So I'm giving every one of these to Becky and, and Byron. Now oh, yeah. yeah, I'm telling you, yeah, there's one. The master's plan, divine design. I, I'll, I'll quick. I'll speed this up. I love this one. This is legacy and lineage line. For about six years, the Lord said, I'd go up and down the land saying, somebody's going to write a book about legacy and lineage line and help transform a generation. I said it at, uh, at least at least five years, nobody picked it up. Finally, Carolyn, my wife, said to me, Bobby, I believe God's talking to you about writing that book. So I said, Lord, do you want me to write that book? He said, yes, I do. And so I started, and it came like an avalanche. It came like a volcano and just poured into me and then I got busy all I go usually a couple of places a week all over the world and I got busy and so I pushed the legacy and lineage line book to the back one day I'm driving down the road and Jesus said hey Bobby how's your legacy and lineage line book coming and I go uh, you know you can lie to a lot of people but not him <laughs> and I said uh, mm, Lord I've got busy and I pushed it to the back you know what he said to me? He said, cancel the meetings, get in a secluded place, and finish this book. So I canceled some meetings, got in a secluded place, and finished the book. And um, th- this is the second edition of it. First edition sold out. Wham! Wham! Just like that. And this, this one, he said, I want you to add more to your book. And this one tells you how to break off ancestral curses and how to amplify the blessings of God in your life. It is amazing. It is, it'll transform your whole... Dis- Here's your verse about your descendants. Psalms 112, verse 2. Psalms 112, verse 2 says, The offspring of the upright shall be mighty in the earth. So I looked up the word mighty. It means they will take charge. Isn't that cool? And then here's, your, here's your another verse about your descendants. You ready? Say yes. yes. It's Isaiah 44:3 3 and 4. Isaiah 44:3 3 and 4, God speaking says, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. I will pour floods upon dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your descendants and they will spring up like willows by a river bank. See, if you're hungry, desperate, thirsty for God, your children flourish. The Bible says if the parents eat bitter fruit, the children's teeth get set on edge. And so this talks about how to break off ancestral curses and amplify the blessings of God. I really pray you'll get the book. Then so anyway, then the shepherd draws you know about those. Uh, this is our 20th year edition for this one was for 2015. Boy, I tell you what this was our 20th edition. I had such a time with God in this one. Uh, he gave me a one 5 i I'm going to work a work, a work in your day. It'll be so marvelous, so magnificent, you barely can believe it. God is about to bring us to our knees with shock about who He is. It's pretty amazing. Awestruck, that's the word He wants us to have. There's, that word is going to blast across the body of Christ, and it's going to be awestruck. Do you remember when the sonic booms used to happen when the jets would come by so fast and boom, it would just shake the earth? That's the word awestruck. It's coming across the body of Christ and it's going gonna, it's gonna to thunder and shake the heavens because God wants to do a marvelous work in our day. And I don't know why the church seems like, oh, if I could have lived in Brandon's day, if I could have lived in A.A. Allen's day. You didn't, you're living now and now's the best time in history to live. I'm telling you, the Bible prophesies and promises this whole earth, Is going to be filled with the knowledge of glory of God. Listen, it gets bigger and better. It doesn't swivel up to nothing. I'm telling you, God is coming after people who will take charge. God's original intent is his intent this morning. Genesis 1, 26. Let us make man in our own image and let's give them kingdom control. He's looking for people he can give kingdom control. God is doing that. That's His original intent. Well, anyway, so uh, y'all get this. Then we've got the one for this year. Oh, this one. This is embracing the God of judgments. Not the judgments of God, the God of judgment. We need to figure out why God's doing to us what He's doing and what we can do to rectify it. You say, well, Bobby, that sounds like you believe America's under the judgment of God. Yes! I do believe that. You go, well, Bobby, why would we be under the judgment of God? You want to know Isaiah 5.20? Isaiah 5.20 is why America's under the judgment of God. And if we continue it, it's going to increase. The judgment of God will increase because the judgment of God is on us not to hurt us, but to help us. Not to punish us, but to purify us. Now, Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe! Woe! Woe means God's pronounced judgment. Woe unto the nation that finds it easy to call good evil and evil good. That substitute darkness for light and bitter for sweet. Are we there? Yes. Are we a nation that is calling evil g- good and good evil? Yes. Oh, we're right there. Yes. We from the hit, from the president on down yes. applauding same sex marriage. Yes. Wow, wow. Uh, did you read the Bible? God said it's an abomination. Uh, listen, pretty pretty wild, isn't it? And see. We're getting so timid till people are afraid to preach about it in church. I'm gonna tell you, the Bible says, "Spare not, lift up your voice as a trumpet, and declare my my people their sins." I'm telling you guys, we have. If it, if we won't take a stand, who will? If the spirit filled believers won't take a stand, who will? And I'm telling you, listen, listen. If we compromise, it only turns up. It turns up the hostility towards us. We've got to take a stand, haven't we? Say yes. Well, th- here, here in this book, this talks about uh, embracing the God of judgments. Remember he says in the book of James, in, in mercy triumphs over judgment. But here's what he told me. He says, the church's plea must become Habakkuk's prayer. Habakkuk chapter 3, remember it says, Oh, God, I've heard about you. I'm, I'm stricken with awe and I've trembled because of who you are. And then it says, Oh, God, in your anger, please remember mercy. Yeah. You ought, you ought to, can I read it a little bit to you? Yeah. Yes, Bobby, please. So I put, uh, I put Habakkuk 3, his prayer, out of several different translations of the Bible. This is the one I like. This is the Amplified Version, Habakkuk 3, verses 1 and 2. I like how it says. It says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet set to wild, enthusiastic, and triumphal music. I mean, this is a bunch of people getting down. You see it? Listen, listen to it. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet set to wild, enthusiastic, and triumphal music. Oh, Lord. I have heard the report of you and was afraid. Oh, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make yourself known. In wrath, earnestly remember love, pity, and mercy. You believe America needs to pray that? Uh, But I like it. It says, Oh, God, do what you used to do. I like that. Oh, Lord, I've heard your speech and was afraid. Oh, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. I want to see him at work, don't you? So anyway, so that, that we'll, we'll, there's some other books, but we'll talk about them at the book table. Now, here's the a, here's a book I want to talk about today. I want to talk about Psalms 30, verse 5. Psalms 30, verse 5. It says, God's anger is but for a tiny moment. His favor is for a complete lifetime. One translation says, His favor is life. His anger is but for a t- tiny moment. His favor is for a complete lifetime. And then it gets to the part you remember. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. So here's my message to you. I thought Pastor was going to get on to it when he got up there praying. Hold on to hope. He who's talking about don't give up on your dreams. Don't give up on the promises God's given you. God told me, said, I want you to speak this morning to tell the people, hold on. Hope one day can make all the difference in the whole world. One single day can change your whole destiny. I want to show it to you in one of the most vivid encounters in the Bible. One single day can change the whole destiny for you and your descendants. It's pretty amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So here it is, Psalms 30, Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. God is trying to position His people to embrace the dawning of a new day. You believe that? Joy comes when? You ought to study morning time in the Bible. Lamentation three is a good place to start. His mercies are new every morning. Thank God he pushes a reset button every morning. Aren't you glad? Says that, that's why we're not consumed, is because his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Say thank God for morning. Thank Weeping God. may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. So if you will, I, I want you, I give these pastor, here's these other books. You, you know, you'll you'll like them. There's some stuff in there, man. Here we go. Okay. So you, you you ready? I guess we're to pray. Lord, I realize this morning if the Holy Ghost doesn't teach, we won't catch anything so prepare our heart prepare our mind and Lord Jesus I pray through these lips of clay you'll speak eternal truths I pray that there'll be arrows in our heart that'll transform our life and make us more like the master Holy Ghost you are the teacher we know that you will guide us into the deep mystical things of God so Lord give us eyes to see ears to hear I say back to you what you've said blessed are your eyes for they see and blessed are your ears for they hear so we thank you Father for receptive and preceptive Ears and eyes in Jesus' name, Amen. I, I, want you, I want you to go with me now, if you will, to Second uh, uh, Samuel chapter nine. Second Samuel chapter nine, and we're going to talk about what a difference one day can make. This is a, a, a marvelous, marvelous uh, story. It's one of the most amazing stories of restoration in the whole Bible. You believe God is a God of restoration. Joel, Joel 2.25, God screams out, I will restore. And he says, I'll restore everything. The cankerworm has consumed. The caterpillars have eaten up. That means all the works of the devil. Anything the devil has done like that, that is stolen from you, consumed your, what was yours, God said, I'll restore it. Joel 2.25, I will restore. The Bible said the heavens must contain Christ until the restoration of all things. Remember that? God's going to restore back. And boy, like the like the pastor said, when the when the, you catch a thief, he has to give back sevenfold. Isn't that something? So I believe some of you are going to get a sevenfold upgrade in the morning because the devil's been busy trying to steal your dreams, steal your hopes, steal steal your destiny. But here we go. This is 2 Samuel chapter 9, and if you, if you catch up where we are in the scriptures, it talks about how victorious David has been. David's king, and he's a warring king, and he, boy, he's been fighting one battle after another. Wah, wah, wah. And look, look, you have to back up to verse uh, chapter 8 just for a moment, and it talks about all the garrisons David's built. Verse 15 says, So David reigned over all of Israel and executed justice and righteousness for all his people. And it talks about how God gave him victory wherever he went. Look at verse 14. He put up garrisons throughout all Edom and the Edomites became his servants and the Lord preserved and gave victory to him wherever he went. So David now has finished most of his campaigns and his battles. Have you ever been so busy you forgot to fulfill some promises you made? Oh man, that's what's happening in Second Samuel 9.1. David has got a little respite. He's kind of... Got a moment to catch his breath and uh, he kind of gets still for a moment and that's where we pick it up in 2 Samuel 9, 1. Look at it. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Wow. Now, all of a sudden, in David's respite time, something like an arrow went into his heart and thought, Oh, my God, I made a promise to Jonathan years ago that I would show him favor and kindness and his descendants forever. You want not see it? Turn, turn back, if you will, just, just for a moment. And, and look look at this covenant that David made over there in First Samuel chapter 20. And look what it says in verse 14. This is where David is coming into a covenant and a vow with Jonathan, who's, who's Saul's son. Jonathan should have been the king, but Jonathan knew that God was not choosing him to be the king, but David... And I love Jonathan. Good gracious. You talk about serving to get a person to the place of God's destiny for their life. Jonathan was that man. He said, David, I know uh, legitimately I'm supposed to be on the throne, but your ch- God's choice is you. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life serving God's anointing in you. I'm going to say to it, you get to the throne. Wow. Wow, instead of being vindictive and go, Who do you think you are? I'm next in line. I'm the bloodline. But that wasn't Jonathan's heart, was it? Say no. Yeah, okay, here we go. And so he's getting David down and he's making a covenant with him. First Samuel 20, verse 14. He says, this is it. While I'm still alive, you shall not only show me the kindness and the loving kindness of the Lord, but so that I will not die, but you also shall not cut off your kindness from the ha- my house forever. No, not even when the Lord has cut off every enemy of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. So he said, now listen. I want you to make a vow that you're going to show me kindness and favor, and 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 David. They make this vow. Now we're back over there to to where David has realized just suddenly, wow, I have not kept my vow. And so, look, so David turns around to a man named Ziba, who was a counselor and a chronicler in the kingdom of David, and he said to Ziba, Ziba, well, let's. I'll, I'll read it to you, so we'll you'll, you'll see it from the Bible. You ready? I'm back at 2 Samuel nine, verse two, and David said. Is there anyone left of the house of Saul who was a, who was a servant? And, this, and it says, and they said, yes, yes. Zeba said, yes, there was somebody left. The, Jonathan had a boy, and this boy's name was Mephibosheth. We, let me read this, verse 3. The king said, is there not still someone of the household of Saul to whom I may show unfailing, unsought, unlimited? I like that dumb too unlimited, unsought favor and mercy and kindness of God. Zeba replied, Jonathan has yet a son who is lame in his feet. Now, you have to find out how he got lame. That's 1 Samuel 4.4. 4. Look, look. well, anyway, you, you, you can find 2 Samuel 4.4. 4. Remember, word comes that Jonathan and his father Saul has been killed in a battle. And the word gets back to the palace that... Uh, Jonathan and King Saul has been killed. And so, Elizabeth uh, says a nurse picked up the young boy, five years old, and she starts running with him, not to hurt him, but to try to get him to safety because the words come that his grandfather and his father have been slain in a battle. And most of the time then when one king killed another king, they'd go find every descendant and kill them. Remember the story? And so I think the nurse was trying to do something good and noble, but I don't know how it happened. It doesn't say in the Bible. It just says in her haste, the child fell. Five-year-old little prince. And it says, from that moment on, he was lame in his legs. It's a strong word. It's a Hebrew word that means paralytic. From Crippled from the neck down. Strongest word in Hebrew language for paralytic. And from, now, let, let's say, you, you might say this morning, Bobby, what does that old, antiquated story have to do with me? I know a lot of people uh, that's been dropped, mishandled. Not maybe intentionally but mishandled by somebody in authority. And, oh, it didn't break their spine, but it broke their heart. It broke their spirit. I've run into them all over the earth. I'm telling you, it's time to forget and forgive. You believe that? Yeah. I'm telling you, it really is. So uh, all of us know crippled people like Mephibosheth. Now, he was crippled in his legs, but I know people crippled in their spiritual walk because they've been mishandled. They've been abused even by pastoral leadership, et cetera misguided loyalty to people. I'm telling you guys, it's time to get over that. You believe it? Because we're going to see this. And so uh, uh, he, said he was lame in his legs, verse 4, and the king said, where is he? Now, this is amazing. King David says to Ziba, Ziba, check the record. Is anybody left? Yes, there is. There's one son, the grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan. He's alive and his name is Mephibosheth and he's living down in a... Look, look, what verse 4. And the king said, where is he? Zebra replied, he's in the house of Malachar, son of Amuel in Lodibar. Oh, my God. Nobody... Let, let's look at this just for a moment. You got time? Where is he? He's down with his uncle Malachar. And if you look up the Hebrew word Malachar, it means salesman. But uh, if you look at it, really, it means cheat, thug, ponzi. Make a living at any cost. See, nobody lived in Lodibar except outlaws, renegades, and runaways. Lodibar, say it. Lodibar. Lodibar means dry, barren, uninhabitable. That's the name Lodibar. Dry, barren, uninhabitable, unfruitful. Only people of people lived there was those running away. Now that's who's been raising this little prince, this Medvedev, this heir to the throne. He's being raised by his crooked uncle. Wow, in Lodi Bar, theologians they, they 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 toss it around how old he is. I see him as a young man. Some think he could be even thirty-two years old when this event's happening. I, I don't know about that. But I know he's been in Lodi Bar way too long. Don't you? So I, I'm sure he got brainwashed like this by his uncle. Hey boy, if it wasn't for me, you'd be dead back at the palace. I am your survivor. I am your savior. If it hadn't been for my goodness and my generosity, that King David would have drugged your Crippled body, hung your, off the gate, slit your throat, and the birds would pick your eyes. But it's because of my generous heart, you're alive. I'm sure he fed him that every day. And so King David has turned to Zeba now and says, go find him and bring him here. Wow. Let's, let's find ourselves down at a rag shack in Lodibar. Dry, barren, uninhabitable. Somebody looks away across the heat-baked desert they see a dust cloud. Who in the world would be coming down here? Somebody shelters their eyes from this glazing sun. They go, oh my God. That's David's flag. That's the flag of the king. Sure enough, Zeba and an entourage come right up to the tent and say, Mebphibosheth live here. Don't you know if you were Mebphibosheth crawling in the dust like a snake? barely able to lift your head off the dirt? Don't you know your heart is pounding? Don't you know because of the lie of this uncle that he thinks this is the day I've always dreaded? Isn't it a shame there's so many people in the world just like Mephibosheth, they run from the one that loves them the most. Oh, man, they run and hide because they're afraid that God is out to hurt them. I'm here to tell you, listen, don't be deceived like that. God is wooing us and drawing us with cords of love and cords of kindness. But can you feel Mephibosheth's heart? He's in the back of that rag shack laying on his stomach. Elbows gnarled like a camel from crawling. Mephibosheth live here. Somebody in a quivering voice says yes. So voice of authority says bring him out. Out they bring this crippled man. Emaciated. I'll show you after a while his own opinion of himself. It's one of the most heartbreaking things you can imagine. And they put him in a chariot owned by the king. And they bring him back to Jerusalem. They bring him back to the king's palace. Now, this is unheard of. Never have you seen it before in protocol what's fixing to happen. In protocol, when a visitor came to the king, there was all kind of things that visitor had to do to approach the throne. No king ever got up off, off of his throne to greet a visitor. That's unheard of. But it says in your Bible, when Zeba comes in to, the, in to the palace area with Mebphabosheth, David gets up off the throne and goes out to greet him. And he says to him, Mebphabosheth. And Mebphabosheth Crawling and crying in the dirt. It says he buried his face in the dirt and cried out, Who? Who am I? Such a dead dog as me that you would greet me. In Jewish culture, you can't find a a lower opinion of a person's self than to call himself a dead dog. Do you see how all the brutality this little prince has gone through has eradicated his self-worth? I run into people, I'm telling you, oh, they're not living in a rag shack in Lodibar. They could be living in one of these multi-million dollar houses. But they've lost their concept of self-worth. I'm telling you, you're the most precious thing on this planet to God. He calls you in the book of Malachi, His jewels. And I said, Lord, please show me what the word jewels means. And it means specially acquired treasure. Specially acquired treasure. What did he pay for your treasure? It says you're not redeemed with the corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain lifestyle, but with the precious blood of Christ. That's what makes you a treasure. So I looked up the Greek word precious, and there's no even, not even a word for it. It's a word that means incalculable. It is so valuable, so worthy, till you can't put a value on it. Remember, we used to sing about it. All to Jesus we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but his blood washes us white as snow. We used to sing about, have you been to Jesus for his cleansing power? Are you washed in his blood? The blood of Jesus is precious. No wonder Paul said, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and his sacrifice that he made for us. Wow. That's that centricity of Christ I was talking about earlier. But here we have, we have the King David off his throne meeting a little crippled, paralyzed prince laying in the dirt with his face down in the dirt. Who? Who am I that you would, I'm such a dead dog. Who am I that you would greet me? And here's what happens. We're talking about hold on to hope. What a difference one day can make. Listen, I'm going to read this because it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Uh, it, it, watch this. Uh, all that I just told you is there in verse five. And Mephibosheth, son, son of Jonathan, the son of uh, Saul, came to David and fell on his face and did uh, o- obedience and he did uh, uh, worship. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, he, your servant. And David said to him, Fear not, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your. F- Father, your grandfather, and you, you shall eat at my table always. And the cripple bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's son, your, his grandson, all that belonged to Saul and all that belonged to his house. Wow. Wow, this guy was dirt poor one moment. Immensely rich, just like that. King Saul, that's who he's talking about. Jonathan, that's Saul's son. This is the grandson. This is the heir to the throne. And now King David is saying, Zeba, Zeba had 15 sons. He said, I want you and your numerous sons to serve Mephibosheth the rest of his whole life, giving back all the land that was his grandfather's, all the inheritance of his grandfather's. Wow. That is a financial turnaround in one day. Don't you think? Ragshack, watch this. And you shall till the land for him, verse 10, and your sons and your servants. And you shall bring in the produce, produce, and your master's heir may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20-something servants. Look at verse 11. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do according to all that the Lord the king commands. So Mephibosheth ate at the king David's table continually. Wait a minute. Let's look. What a difference one day makes. Woke up in a rag shack in Lodibar, went to bed in the palace. Wow. That's track. That is some kind of journey, isn't it? See, don't give up. Weeping may last the night, but what? What a difference one day makes. Medthebosheth. Yep, yeah, the word med it's it means dispeller and dispenser of shame. Wow, that's how he felt about himself. But I'll tell you what. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, in my mind I can see. I would love to pull the banquet door open the first night, wouldn't you? It says he'll eat bread at my table continuously. There's all of David's royal sons at the table. It's just a banquet you can't imagine. There's the royal sons. And then there's Mephibosheth. But he looks like all the other sons now. Who's his lame legs? Under the king's table. Covered. Say covered. See, I don't care how many wounds, scars you've got, they're covered. Isaiah one eighteen. come on now, says the Lord, let's reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Now, he, he wasn't laying there like a lame man. He's sitting erect at the table with his crippled legs under the king's table. What a difference one day can make. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Well, I know we hadn't got time. I usually use three or four more examples, but here, I'll give you one quick one. You ready? You ready? Yeah. This one you'll like it. Here it is. Have you ever gone have you ever studied the Gospel of Mark? I love the Gospel of Mark. Every one of the Gospels presents Jesus in a different genre. The Gospel of Mark is a book of action. The most repetitive word in the Gospel of Mark is immediately and straightway. It's a book of action. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. The Bible said the people that do know their God, they'll do great exploits. One says they'll demonstrate strength and take action. That's Daniel 11.32b. Say it, Daniel. 11.32b. But the people that do know their God will do mighty exploits. They'll display strength and take action. So if we know God, we're supposed to be displaying strength and taking action. Say action. So let me, have you got time to hear about the nude, rude dude? Say it. Nude rude dude. nude, rude, dude. Yeah, he's in the Bible. I'll introduce you to him. Mark chapter 4, Jesus says to his boys, the disciples, most, most of the disciples were what before they were disciples? Fishermen. They knew wind, waves, and water, didn't they? And so here's what Jesus said to them. They'd been preaching in a village, and Jesus said, boys, get in the boat uh, Mark chapter 4, boys, get in the boat. We are going to the other side. They were going to go across a little sea, a little inlet, to another place over there. And so it says they got in the boat. And it says in my Bible, Jesus went to sleep on a pillow, a leather pillow, my Bible says. And it says as they were crossing the little ocean there, a horrendous storm comes, a terrible storm, lightning flashing, winds roaring, waves Dashing And says the little boat was almost ready to capsize. And the disciples, these bold, brave disciples, they turn to Jesus. He's asleep. And they go, Master, get up. Don't you know we're going to perish? Aren't you glad you... Now, I don't like the King James in this part of the Bible. It says, And Jesus gets up and looks and says, Peace be still. (laughs) That's not what he says. If you're reading this in the Greek, I mean it's drama. They're screaming, scratching. "Ah! You know, waves roaring. I mean, it's high drama. So Jesus gets up and he does stand at the, the bow of the boat and it is rolling and it is splashing and lightning, flashing. It is a horrendous storm. And here's what Jesus does say. He doesn't say, peace be still. You, you know what he says? In the Greek, he looked at the storm and he screamed, shut up and lay down. The Greek word means get gagged. Hush your mouth and get down. And here's what happens. When he said that, the wind goes and laid down as tranquil as glass. Watch the boys in the boat. The boys in the boat were horrified of the storm. Now they're petrified of who's in their boat. (laughs) What manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? See, I told you you're way too familiar with a God we barely know. What made the boys so fearful? I suspect what made the boys so fearful was this: they didn't really listen to what Jesus said. Get in! We are going to the other side. I didn't hear anything about Coast Guard rescue, 911 <laughs> resuscitation, and then the second mistake they made: they didn't realize who was in their vessel. See, I told you already: you're undefeatable because of who's in your vessel. Romans 8:37. Amid all these things, it says in 1 John 4:4, "Greater is He that is." In you, than he that is in the world. You you can't be whipped if you stay with Jesus. Cannot be defeated. Anyway, so the boys, they finally get across to the other side. Little gangplank comes down. And it says, immediately, that means right then, there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. who I looked it up in the Greek. It's a Greek word called demonizomaiya. Demon Nitsamiah. There made him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. A man that was demonitsumai, it means under the total control of a devil. Wow. Now these guys and gals that are playing around with witchcraft and Harry Potter and all this seance mess, this is where it leads to. That's the, that's the full flower of witchcraft up there. He's naked, he's suicidal always night and days in the mountains and the tombs, crying, slashing himself with stones. But he sees Jesus and he runs down. And the Bible literally says he falls prostrate in a form of worship. And he said, I love that part. All the demons in him couldn't keep him doing what he was created to do. And so here's, here's the deal. Jesus is dialoguing with him. And those demons says, ah! Jesus son of the most high God have you come to torment us before our time I'll answer that yes yep we're not going to build a church where demons feel comfortable we're going to build a church so full of the presence of the power of God they walk in and manifest and they're cast out I'm telling you guys I am telling you deliverance is coming to the house of God you say oh no you know let's just counsel it out you can't counsel it out you have to cast it out you have to cast out the devil. He's more afraid of you than you are him. That's the honest to God truth. He knows he's whipped. He just didn't want you to know it. it says he roars as a roaring lion. He's not, you know, he's defanged. He's whipped. But and it says, in Romans 16:20, why sure? It says, then the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Isn't it, Luke 10, 19, behold! I give you power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. He literally says in that verse, Luke 10 19, I give you authority to stop the devil's ability. What ability does the devil have? John 10 10 The thief comes but for to steal, kill, and to destroy. But you've been given authority to stop his ability. So here's this poor, pitiful guy. He's just a puss bag. He's naked. He's got, he just got sores all over him. He's been slashing himself with stones. There he is kneeling before Jesus. And he's dial- Jesus is dialoguing. What is your name? My name is Legion for we're many. Wow, that's what the demons said. One man, a lot of demons. And here's the story. The demons are saying to Jesus, Don't send us out of the country. And there's a bunch of pigs up on the hill eating. And the demons said, Let us go up there and get those pigs. Remember the story? Mark chapter 5. And so Jesus gave him permission to leave the man. And they went and got the pigs. The demons did. It says there's about 2,000 of those pigs eating up on the hillside. And it says when the demons went into the pigs, the pigs went snut. The pigs went snut. The pigs went nuts. (laughs) The pigs went insane. (laughs) And they just ran down the hill and jumped in the ocean and drowned themselves. Guys, it's aside if I've ever heard of it. (laughs) Just pure aside. 2,000 pigs dead floating in the ocean. And the guys that were keeping the pigs, they're up on the hillside. Nowadays, they'd be texting, you better get out here, something's coming down. (laughs) Maybe FaceTime or they could have even periscoped. (laughs) You know, you were talking about social media a while ago. Oh, Lord, there's 23,800 videos of me on YouTube, and I've never put a single one. 23,800, Wow. and everywhere we go now, people Periscope and all that kind of stuff. Social media is really, really something. That's that's a way to reach tons of people. You know, I, I have a guy that runs our web thing for me because you know, I, I barely know how to turn the computer up. You know, I tried to do it myself and opened the back door and gave everybody in the whole earth my. It, it, it had to crash our web site for. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the guy had to, the tech guy had to fix it all back up for me. But anyway, these guys, they, they didn't text and go, you better come out here, something's happening to the hogs. But anyway, they ran into town, ran into town and told the people that owned the pigs, you better get out here, something's happening. So the guys that kept, that owned the pigs, here they come. They're coming back to see about the herd of pigs. And it says, when they come out, they see him that had been possessed now. He is seated, clothed in his right mind. Oh, my God. Seated, clothed in his right mind. If ever there was a time to throw your hands up and go, hallelujah, praise God, that would have been a time. But what do they do? They rush up to Jesus and said, pack your bags, get out of here. It costs too much having you here. They literally said, get out of our neighborhood. So Jesus is getting his stuff, about to leave, in the Poor guy that had been demonized, who had now been saved, seated, clothed in his right mind. He said to Jesus, Jesus, oh, Jesus, let me go with you. And he said, nope. You go back to your family, your friends. You go back and show them and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And your Bible says, he went back to Decapitus, and it says in your Bible, all men did marvel. Theologians seem to say, Everybody in the ten villages got converted. The word decapitus means a ten region, city region down the coastline. That's where this maniac went. But here's the deal. He woke up a maniac naked in the tombs, and he went to bed that night, a missionary. (laughs) What a difference one day can make. From a lunatic, a maniac, to a commissioned missionary. Didn't go to some kind of Bobby Connor School of the Supernatural. See, the Holy Ghost is your teacher. You understand that? I know a lot of people that are training themselves silly. You know, they think, well, I don't know enough yet. This guy was one day converted and turned a whole region to Christ. I think sometimes we feel inferior because we don't understand it ain't us doing it. The best thing you can understand, his strength is made perfect in your frailty. Ah, like I told you, this is the most crucial time in human history, and look who God's let live. I said to him, what are you thinking? And he answered me. My question was, most crucial time in human history, why have you let us be in charge? And here's what he said. My question, why us? He said, yep, I finally found me a people weak enough to work in. Not weak in character, not weak in ethics, not weak in morals, weak in our own ability." We've embraced John fifteen five. Without me you can't do nothing. And we've hooked up with Philippians where it says, It is God that works in you, both the will and will and to do of his good pleasure. That's a great verse, isn't it? That's Philippians two thirteen. Why? It is God that works in you, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. So I started scouring the Bible. What would bring God good pleasure? I found it Luke twelve thirty-two. Luke twelve thirty two says, Oh, shuddering, shivering little flock, don't be so timid. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Wow. That's what he's looking for, somebody he can turn this kingdom over to. He told me, he said, I'm going to raise me a kingdom company that will rule the visible realm from the invisible realm, but they'll do it through a demeanor of love. I'm raising me a, a kingdom company that will rule the visible realm from the invisible realm, but they'll do it through a demeanor of love. Love's the whole key, isn't it? It sure is. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have what? One for another. If you want to study, sometimes it will wreck you. Study the little phrase in the New Testament, one another. One another. Just, you got Googling, you can Google it now. One another. Bible verses that deal with one another. It's an operation manual of how to treat one another love one another, pray for one another, exhort one another, rebuke one another. Wow, one another. Tells us how we're to treat one another. Number one is we're to love one another. We're to provoke one another to good habits. Yeah. Well, I want you to stay out of my business. No, I'm, I'm doing God's business. <laughs> Provoking you to good works. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, here's, what, here's what's going to happen to you today. You're going to get an impartation. You say, I don't want one. Well, you ought to have left a while ago. <laughs> it's the honest-to-God truth. The Lord told me, He said, go where I tell you to go. Do what I tell you to do. When you get there, I'll give the people, whether they want it or not, an impartation from Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the everlasting, never-failing covenant, make you perfect. Give you everything you need to accomplish the task you've been sent to do. So you're going to get that. I said, how can I tell them they'll get it whether they want it or not? All right. He said, you can get around somebody that's infectious and you can be contaminated. I mean, you can get on an elevator. Somebody sneezes on you. I mean, you can get, catch a cold. If you can catch a cold, you can sure catch the anointing. You remember Saul got around Samuel and started prophesying like a parrot, man. You see, Saul wasn't a prophet. But Samuel was, and when he got around, I said, boom, jumped up on him. And so it's going it's to happen to you. I'm telling you the kind of anointing we have. God said, leave their head along, throw the seed in their heart. That's, that's why I talk fast. That's why I'm just listening. You can't keep, you know, you need to get the tapes and listen to them again and go, oh, my God, I didn't know I heard that. Because you retain very little listening. But if you look, if you open both gates, boy, things really come in. But anyway, you're going to get an anointing, an impartation. You say, is, there, is impartation mentioned in the Bible, Brother Connor? Romans 1 eleven. <laughs> Romans 1 11, Paul said, I yearn, I yearn to be with you that I might impart to you a charisma gift. A functioning yeah, yeah. gift. He wants to give you an unction to function. <laughs> Where's a rapper when we need him? <laughs> yo, yo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good Lord. Remember Bob used to rap? Oh, Lord. One of the wildest services you could ever imagine happened down in the Hard Rock Cafe uh, in uh, uh, Florida. Years ago, I went down there to Florida to do a, a meeting I with a, a black man named uh, Aaron Evans. You know Aaron. And to be honest with you, it wasn't very, it, you, know, the meeting was kind of lackluster to me, I, I thought. But it, anyway, Aaron calls me and he goes, Well, you're coming back. I said, Aaron, who told you I'm coming back? The Lord. I said, what did he say? He said, I'm going to get the Hard Rock Cafe, and you're coming back to do a meeting. I said to him, Aaron, you get the Hard Rock Cafe. I'll bring some of my friends, and we'll do a meeting. I tell you, months went by, maybe a year, maybe a year and a half. I get a phone call. Brother Bobby, it's here. I said, yeah. He said, I got it. I said, you got what? He said, Hard Rock Cafe. And I said, oh, man. He said, yeah. Friday, Saturday. So anyway, I'd made a covenant. I'd bring my friends. We'd call Bob, call Don Potter, John Paul Jackson, Paul Keith Davis, Rick Joyner. Huh? John Paul Jackson. Susie Wells. we go down there to the Hard Rock Cafe. They had just had a rock show the night before. So help me God, they're sweeping up women's underwear off the Platform, I mean Hard Rock Cafe, Orlando, Florida. (laughs) So they took John Lennon's room from uh, New York and brought it down there, board by board, put it up for, and they let us use that for a green room. When I walked in, it God said, "You can use it for a green room. Don't do ministry in here, though." In that green room, it was like a a bad temple, you know. So I told Bob, "We can use this as a green room, but don't do ministry." And what happened? Oh well, anyway. Yeah, he didn't. He wasn't listening to good because we're in the green room and uh, I'm trying to eat some pizza, I'm trying to hide from Carolyn to eat three or four pieces of pizza, and I hear screaming. Ah, ah! It's Bob. He'd been over there ministering, and a demon jumped off on him. And anyway, I said, Bob, I told you we can't do ministry. But anyway, but we had we get out there and we're in the service and it is packed to the hilt. i see, I mean, it's actually Hard Rock Cafe people and. Christians, I mean, it is a mingled mess, man. People spun on their head, didn't they? Remember that? People fell on the head and started sprang spinning around like a top. Anyway, in the middle of that meeting, you know how Donald play, and y'all been in Bob Bob Jones meeting. So uh, Bob gets up, he walks up there, and he takes the microphone. Don's playing, and there's some other musicians, and it's really good. And so help me, Bob starts rapping, and it's good. I mean it's really good I punched old Rick Jordan I said listen your promotion problems are over you got Bob Jones rapping in the hard rock cafe it was wonderful it, it was on beat it was the wildest thing you've ever seen good lord yeah. most time it's thee says to thou me you know. but this was something it was really good Okay, my wife said, tell him the dream. Bob came to see me. Bob, you know, you can call it a dream, whatever. It was more real than me standing in this room right now. I knew Bob was going to come see me after he died. He died on February 14th. And so anyway, I told my wife, I said, uh, Bob's going to come see me. So I, I'm in, a, I'm in a, a trance kind of thing. And I'm in my home in Moravian Falls typing on the computer, writing a book. Holy Spirit said, you've got a visitor. I get up from my desk, walk over the door, fix something the door. And he said, no, he's coming down the... He's coming through the window. So I turn around like this, and my study has a bunch of windows there, and there's pearl escalators coming out of heaven. This is March the 27th after Bob died in February the 14th. The pearl escalators are coming down like this, moving like that, and Bob is riding the elevator, the escalators down looked like a million dollars. You've never seen anything like it. His face was his taunt, his body was firm. He had a a a, a row bone that looked like a nightshirt that went below his knees, but if the material was living, it moved and moved and so I'm thinking to myself, Oh my, should I raise the window for him or what? And he popped through the window. <laughs> Boom. Popped through the window and got this close to my face. He's standing right there. He looked immaculate and beautiful, and he looked me over. He looked me at me just like that, and he said, "Uh, you're doing fine. Wham! Then he hit himself in the chest just like that, and he said, and I'm doing wonderful. (laughs) That's what he said. And then here's what he did. We sat down on the couch. We could talk with our words, or we could talk with our spirit. And we're sitting there, and Bob said out of his mouth, Have you noticed your hair lately? I said, No, I hadn't. He said, Run your hand through it. I did like that, and I could feel something. He said, Do it again. I did it again. Do it again. I did it again. And then every time I do it like this, straw. It looked like straw. And then pretty soon I've got a whole stalk of wheat, a handful of wheat just like this. And I looked at Bob sitting there, and he has a handful of wheat. And here's what he said. He said, I'll tell you what's going to happen. He said, God is going to use the prophetic in, in this coming move of God to tie in with the evangelists, and they'll show the evangelists which fields are ripe and ready for harvest so they won't waste their energies and their resources on fields that are not ripe. And he said, to tell, said tell the church it's all about the harvest. And so listen, uh, but I am telling you, listen, um, you, I, you know, people go, well, you know, that, you, there's no such thing. You don't know what such things there is. You know, (laughs) the natural mind receives not the things of the spirit. It's foolishness. Neither can you, and it has to be spiritually discerned. When I said to you, "He's got the best seat in the house," I meant it, and he's watching over the meetings, because remember, God told him, "Bob, I'll send you back to this earth in order to start and initiate a billion souls being saved." When Bob Jones went to heaven, the clock started. And I'm telling you, we're going to see the greatest harvests we've ever seen. All the things you've seen so far is reaping the reapers, harvesting the harvesters. Greatest harvest the world's ever seen is at the door. It really is. I'm telling you, well, you know it's true. Can you feel it in the air? I can. I've been in this thing a long time. There is something dynamic loose in the air. It's undescribable right now. And you can't define it articulately yet. You can feel it. Can't you feel it? And I'll tell you what, it feels good. You know what's been happening for the last 10 years? The Holy Ghost of God has been fanning the flame of discontentment within your heart so that you won't settle for less than what God wants to give you. What you feel inside of you is a divine disturbance, a divine dissatisfaction. I mean it's it's God fanning the coals of your heart into a flame so you won't settle for second best. Wow. I hath not seen, ear has not heard the things that God has prepared for those that love him. But he has revealed them unto it is he's revealed it to him through the Spirit. Well, anyway, had a good time. I love coming out here. I, I was sitting there, I said, Lord, tell me about this church. He said it's going to be an oasis. And I said, oh, yes, that's wonderful. An oasis, a place for people to come and refresh. That's a good thing, an oasis. Hungry, desperate people get refreshed. And so I thought, oh, that's wonderful. And I could see, like, palm trees, you know, and all those things. And so I go in there, and I, I pulled the door open to what I was told was an oasis, and I was in an emergency room. Like, I mean, the desperate, the hurting, the bleeding, the broken. And then, yeah. <laughs> I was in a place of perfect peace and rest. I tell you, this thing is going to be multifashioned. It is going to be like an oasis. It is going to be like a trauma center for the hurting, the desperate, and the broken. And it is going to be a place, a haven of rest, a rock, in and in a, in a shelter. Isn't that something? So don't, don't just say, well, we're an oasis. We're an emergency room. We're a house of rest. No, listen, it's all together. And you're going to find people come in so mangled and broken boom, and God will heal them and they'll, they'll be moving into the house of rest. You know how they get the house of rest? They get their eyes on God. Isaiah 26.3, that will keep him in what perfect peace? Well, fix and to pray for you, okay? Yeah, good. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I want you to do something for me, will you? Would you put your hand on your heart? Say this with me. Wow! really something, I'm really something. There's, nobody like me. there's nobody like me think about that there's 7.6 billion people alive on this planet and not a single one of them like you you are divinely unique in the purest sense of the word God made only one of you Psalms 139 it says in verse 16 all of your days are written in his book before you've ever lived a single one of them and the next verse says, his thoughts towards us are weighty and precious. And he says his thoughts are more numerous than the sands on the seashores. So God thinks weighty, glorious, precious thoughts about you continually. Because the devil will say, look, if God's so good to you, what's all this going on about? No, all the devil does is accuse God to you and you to God. But you've got to tell him no that's right just tell him no remember Jesus went through that test Matthew 3 last verse in Matthew 3 it says heaven's open and a voice said this is my beloved son in whom I'm delighted next verse says and Jesus was led of the spirit into the wilderness to be tested and tempted by the devil what was the test in the temptation do you really believe you're who God says you are if You're the son of God. Turn these stones into bread. If, jump off the pinnacle. Wow. See, as soon as he got his declaration from heaven, who he was, the enemy began to try to talk him away from it. But finally, he said, enough is enough. You know, get thee behind me. That's what you got to tell the devil when he starts lying to you. Now, the only benefit to ever hearing the devil is every time he speaks, he speaks a lie. What is a lie? Turn it all the way around you'll find the truth. There you go. So if he says you're a worthless worm, you're a divine lover of God. If he says you'll never make it, you've already seated in heavenly places. It's a total opposite of what he says to you. Okay? So you don't have to dialogue with him. He's a liar. But if he does whisper to you and try to tell you something, it's just right the opposite. You'll never amount to nothing. That means you're going to succeed and excel in everything you put your hands to. I see verses popping up like popcorn. So help me God. Have you ever seen popcorn in a skillet? You turn the burner up, put a little oil on there, and that's Holy Ghost. And then that popcorn's are promises of God. If you want them to really go shake them a little. You say, well, tell me some of the verses that are popping over your head. Here's one. Psalms 84, 11 said, I'll give you present day, favor, future, glory, splendor, and heavenly bliss. That's popping over your head. Isn't that something? Here's one. He says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask God. who will give it to you lavishly. What? Wisdom. God said, I'm going to release new ways of doing old things. If you're an entrepreneur, anything that's been done, there's a better way to do it. God said, I'm releasing an anointing to do old things new ways. Anything that's been done, there's a better way to do it. Okay? Man, you know, I'm not very creative. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. You should break that curse off yourself. I'm genius when it comes to ideas. I know we got to quit, but listen, I'm wound up like 8 o'clock. Hey, I walked by a lady in one of the conferences I was doing. I walked by a lady. She's sitting on one of the front rows there. And I said to her, and I do this. I said, what do you do? And she goes, kind of embarrassed. She goes, I'm a CEO of a company. And, you know, that's intriguing to me. So I said, what kind of company? And she said, a card company. She's nervous. There's three or four thousand people there. I said, What kind of card company? Yeah, I'm just I've got a pin to the chair, you know what I mean? <laughs> and she finally says, Well, it's a it's a, it's a card company like you know, if you care to send the best. And so this thing hit me. I said, Hey, I'm gonna pitch you an idea. And I said, If if I was a CEO of a card company that cared to send the best, here's what I'd do I I'd come up with a card that says, Gee! just the front letters, G, you know, just, just no flowers, no nothing, just G. And then you open and you go, G, I'm glad your son graduated. Or G, I'm sorry, Fred's dead. <laughs> you, you see what I mean? Do you see it? See, if you walk, to a, 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 you walk up to a card shop and you see sympathy card, you know what that is. Or happy birthday or graduation or anniversary card. But if you get a G card, you don't know what it is do you own it. Do you see it? To me, it was genius. And so, months went by. And then one day, I got a box. Guess what it is? A box of G cards. Yeah. But do you see the mystique of it? That's kind of the way it is with you and your Christian walk. You have to open the book to see what's really yours. Man shall not—that's how what how the Lord broke the devil's curse. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that continues to proceed out of the mouth of God. That's what—that's in that deal that where Jesus was being tempted. It's Matthew four four. So you need to open your card to see what all's yours. One good thing about the Bible is. Whoever got some, if you want it, you can have it. You say, I'm taking that word. You can have it. You really can, can't you? Because God is no what? Respective persons. Well, God bless you. I pray that all. And the Lord told me, he said, everywhere you go, smear. Smear this verse on my people. I said, I will. And it's Psalms 115, verse 14 and 15. And he said, smear it. That's the word for anoint. Rub it on my people. Rub Psalms 115, verse 14 and 15. It says, May the Lord increase you more and more, you and your entire family. May you be blessed of the God that made the heavens and the earth. So that's what I want you to have. May you, may the Lord bless you, you and your entire family. May He increase you more and more. May you be blessed of the God that made the heavens and the earth. And the next verse is really important too. Verse 16 says, The heavens of heavens, that belongs to God, but the earth, He's given into our hands. So we're going to dominate who is elected president. Because yeah. this earth is in whose hands? Our hands. Psalms 115, verse 16, the heavens of heavens, that belongs to God. But this earth, he's given into our hands. We're responsible for what happens here. And that's how we got in such a mess we're in right now. I said to God, politically, how do we get here? He said, I gave the people what they asked for. And I said, tell me more. Uh, he said, I gave the people what they asked for. And then he said, the error the church made was they thought I'd straighten this out from the White House. I want to do it from the church house. It's up to us, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Well, Pastor, we had a great time. God bless you. I'll see you at the book table.
2: Dude, that was a download, right?
0: Yeah.